Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. To find studies of other books of the Bible from our archive, you can search our sermon library at thevillagechapel.com resources. We pray these studies will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Hey folks, so glad you've joined me for our continuing study of Mark's Gospel, second book in the New Testament. And we are in chapter two, looking at verses 18 to 22 today. Three new ways that Jesus talked about and described the kingdom of heaven. And uh, you'll remember that he has been sitting in the home of Levi, the tax collector, and a bunch of Levi's colleagues in the tax collecting business. They were, they were, they were hated and despised by their own countrymen because they, uh, they literally were extorting money out of their own uh, people and giving that money to the Roman Empire, and then skimming off the top and keeping as much as they could for themselves. So they're getting rich off the backs of their own people. I mean, them, they, they were despised, as I say, as hated as much as uh, a drug dealer or some, some kind of a, a mobster or some kind of criminal person might be in our own day and time. He's sitting with those people. He's changed Levi into who he'll start calling Matthew at some point. Matthew's name means gift of God. And so Levi, who is taking money and keeping track of what people owed, becomes Matthew, who keeps track a record, if you will, pens a record, if you will, of how God has given the gift of his son, Jesus, so that your debt and my debt could be paid in full. Well, anyway, we pick up Uh, in that same kind of a scene. And verse 18 says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, meaning Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And fasting, as some of you will know, was uh, in in their day and time, a a regular religious practice, especially for the Pharisees on, I believe it was Mondays and Thursdays, only required once a year, and that on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, but uh, regularly kept and observed as a a religious practice by by the folk that enjoyed practicing their religion in front of others to be seen by men. And so here they come, um, John's disciples and the Pharisees uh, were fasting, and they come to Jesus and they go, "Why do John's disciples, and how come how come th- those guys who are John the Baptist's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but yours don't fast?" And this is just fascinating to me. Jesus said to them, "While the bridegroom is with them," and it's just fascinating to me that he doesn't just answer directly; um, he answers with a story. Often he answers with a question, and he wants to get us to think. He wants to get them to think first and foremost in the immediate space-time, you know, right where they're at, okay? But us by extension as well. So he says to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in 
that day. And so he's essentially saying, while I'm here, you should feast. Um, and, and, and so it's just a beautiful picture uh, of how uh, the gospel sets us free to feast on Jesus, who will be called the Lamb of God, who will lay down his life uh, for the sins of the world and and to reconcile us all to God. And this is just a beautiful thing. Uh, Mark's gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about a religion of rule following or a religion of performance in front of others to be seen by others. Uh, He picks up two more metaphors and employs them right here as well. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear results. And so this is about mending an old piece of clothing. And he he says, you know, you don't put a new piece of fabric and, and try and patch an old garment with it because it's going to pull away, especially the minute you wash it. Uh, anyone would know that. And I I, I thought about when I was a kid, and maybe you were this way too, but um, man, it, back in the day when I was a teenager anyway, jeans were never sold with you know cuts and tears and old rips and all that sort of thing. Back then, you actually bought a pair of jeans, and they still seemed high-priced, even though they weren't, uh, to, especially compared to today, but they were new jeans, and they looked new, and and you even, some people ironed their jeans and put a crease on everything. And, uh, and I just remember the day when, when it, you know, so things started to turn. And when you buy jeans, it was like, you're buying a pair of jeans with a rip and a tear in them, you know. And then some people would buy, that, buy them that way. And, and, and if, they were, if they were brand new, didn't have any tears, and they'd tear them, you know, to, because they thought that looked cool. Other people would tear them and then put a patch of some kind of colorful you know, flowered, you know, piece of fabric or something on it. It just was, it's amazing to me that Jesus enters the realm of fashion to talk about the newness of the kingdom of heaven and that there's going to have to be a new way of thinking when it comes to being in relationship with the God who is there. It's not going to be about the old way, the old forms of rule, merely rule following, thinking you can earn your salvation, thinking you can impress God with how good you are. And in some way, that's going to be enough. Um, it's going to be more like, you know, a new way of doing things, new way of thinking and being, and certainly a new way of believing. It's good news. It's not bad news about the rules you got to keep and you're never going to be able to keep them. It's good news about the fact that Jesus has come and lived the life you and I couldn't live. And now he's offering to you his righteousness. He's offering that to me as well. Oh, the third metaphor is in verse 22. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. It's real similar to the, to the last metaphor. It's just a, a, a different category. Um, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. In other words, you can lose both the wineskins and the wine. But um, but one puts new wine into fresh wine skin. So the idea is that fermentation uh, includes expansion. So as the wine ferments, 
um, this new wine as it's put into, if it were put into old wineskins, it would continue to ferment, it would continue to expand, and eventually the old wineskins would simply burst. You'd lose the wineskins, you'd lose the wine. And Jesus is really, in, in all three of these cases, the wedding, you know, the wedding feast and celebration, um, uh, the old garment, the mending of, a, uh, of an old garment, or uh, putting, on, putting together a completely new outfit, if you will. <laughs> and, and thirdly, the new wine and new wineskins. In all three of these cases, he's trying to get them to see that the kingdom of heaven needs to be thought about differently than they've been thinking about it. Well, I love this passage, and I love these three metaphors quite a bit. Couple of things uh, I just want to share with you. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven, showing it in this new and different way for these religious folk. And, and for anyone who might be listening, remember there are hundreds and thousands of people that are starting to follow him. Um, and that's causing some consternation, especially to the religious leaders. And so they come and they, they wanna ask the question, well, how, come, how come your disciples aren't as good a religious rule followers as John the Baptist disciples, or as good a rule followers as the, as the disciples of the Pharisees? And these are probably scribes who were among a subset of the Pharisees. Um, but Jesus has lots of religious people following him all the time. And as you see the tension building, as we go through one of the gospel records, any of the four gospel records, you see that, that tension is building. And there is more and more tension because there's so much attention given to Jesus by the crowds and it, it creates a, a bit of jealousy and contempt even. And they will, they, the religious leaders of the day, will even start to be, begin thinking about how they can do away with Jesus. In other words, they have murder on their mind uh, in the near future here as we're, as we're reading through the story. But Jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven here with these three metaphors from everyday life for these people, maybe not for you, maybe not for me, um, but for these people, yes. A wedding celebration versus fasting. Um, uh, being in the kingdom of heaven for Jesus, you're being invited to a feast doesn't mean fasting isn't a good spiritual practice. I think it really is. We're in an age, a day and time when we've learned to say no to nothing. We don't tell ourselves no anymore because um, we think we should have everything we want to have when we want to have it. Uh, there's a bit of entitlement thinking in all of us, I think. And so we consider it an outrage. Uh, and that's one of the reasons people so easily, easily triggered into outrage is because they're entitlement thinkers. Um, it's not really a matter of justice that somebody cut me off in traffic and I want to yell at them. That's not a matter of justice. Um, that's, that's just somebody being inconvenient and upsetting me and offending my pride is what it is. <laughs> but so Jesus offers up the wedding celebration. He offers up something from the textile and fashion world, which I thought was great. Mending your clothes becomes problematic if you keep trying to patch your old fabric with patches of new fabric. The old forms of faith, the old forms of religion are going to need to go, he says. Um, and then with the wine, uh, you know, the, the sort of the realm of viticulture and, and winemaking, um, new wine will need to be made in new wineskins. Um, new wine will need new bottles, not old, old uh, containers, if you will, because the old containers just won't be able to contain it. Um, John Stott in Christ the Controversialist says, Pharisaic righteousness was an outward conformity to human traditions. Christian righteousness is an inward conformity of mind and heart to the revealed will 
of God. And that's so true. I have a Pharisee inside of me. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I, I think we probably all are. We probably all have traditions, patterns, habits that we think are the way, the right way. Um, and when we go to scripture, sometimes we might find uh, an indirect reference to something that for us has become a tradition. You know, like uh, it could be, could be a religious practice, could be just a, 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 a way of doing things that we might put in the moral category, and yet the scriptures don't speak directly to it. Um, I think we need to be careful with the scriptures and with our traditions and the forms of our faith to not worship the forms of our faith. That's one of the reasons we we say one of our sort of monikers about the village chapel, the way we talk about the village chapel is that it's new forms for ancient truths. We hold fast to the gospel. We hold fast to the ancient truths, the timeless truths of scripture. Uh, but the forms themselves, the way we work that out, uh, and, and and live that out may change a little bit from time to time, culture to culture, that sort of thing. Uh, I love the way Eugene Peterson talks about it in Reversed Thunder. He says, Pharisees, the persons in the first century who knew the words of Scripture well, but heard the voice of God not at all. They separated the book from the human act of hearing, which would become believing, following, and loving. Printer's ink became embalming fluid. So poetically said, yeah, that's so true. We need to um, hear from God, hear from the Lord when we open our Bibles. And then that hearing needs to turn into believing and following and loving. And I'll remind you again that each of these quotes are gonna be in the show notes, depending on which platform you're listening to or watching this podcast. If you can't find them there, uh, jump on thevillagechapel.com and look for um, the page that has to do with the podcast and you'll you'll find uh, the document there. So in short, and as you get ready for this day, I wanna remind all of us, the gospel doesn't just patch us up, fix us up, or improve the religious rule follower inside of us. The gospel replaces all human efforts and self-righteous boasting. The gospel is not a list of rules we must follow or commands that we have to obey. The gospel is a declaration of what Christ has done for us. The gospel is an invitation to believe and trust in Christ for salvation. As we do this, Everything about us becomes new. New wine, new, new robe, new, new clothing, new righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is put on us like a robe. Yeah, um, our, our, our fast or our, our lack of spiritual vitality becomes a feast of spiritual vitality in Christ. Um, there's a total exchange of our ideas for his ideas. Our desires are now aligning with his desires. So our sense of belonging is actually wrapped up in our union with Christ. Now, not rather, in how we feel about ourselves in any given moment or whether others approve or affirm us. That's just irrelevant to us. Why? Because we want to hear well done from the only lips that matter, Jesus. We want to live for the glory of our King. We want to live in such a way that we delight our Father who art in heaven. 
and we realize that we belong to him, not to ourselves. We don't belong to the culture, don't belong to our suffering, don't belong to our disease, don't belong to any victim status that we might have adopted in some way or that might actually have fallen upon us. We don't belong to any of that, nor any of the successes we've had. We belong to the one who made us, the one who came on a rescue mission for us, the one who brought us from fasting and brought us into feasting. The one who brought us that robe of righteousness and the new wine of the gospel. William Barclay, the old Scottish preacher says, Christian freedom comes not from restraining desires by rules and regulations, but from the death of evil desires and the springing to life of good desires by virtue of Christ being in the Christian and the Christian being in Christ. That union with Christ is such an important doctrine of the gospel. And to summarize it, as Tim Keller so beautifully did, um, he said the gospel is this, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. My prayer for us today is that we can walk in the freedom of the gospel, knowing that when Jesus came, and we're reading about that right here in Mark's gospel, when Jesus came into space-time history, he didn't just come to be a model or an example for you to follow or for me to follow. He actually came to be our savior. There is no better model than Jesus. Don't, don't mistake me there. There's no better example than Jesus, but he came to be far more than that. He came to be your savior, your Lord, your king. And he's inviting you to feast with him, to feast upon him. And we do that when we come to the table and we have his body broken, his blood shed for us, and it reconciles us to God. It invites us into the presence of God. And we get that new robe of righteousness. <laughs> yeah, and that, that new wine of the kingdom. I pray that you'll walk in that today. Lord, thank you uh, for each and every one of my friends. Bless them this day. Open our eyes that we might have a clearer vision of your truth, a greater faith in your power, and a more confident assurance of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.